Welcome to another episode of Candela. I'm Alan Shallot. I'm Christopher Hooten. There he is. There's Chrissy Hooten sitting underneath a uh, another man-made den today. I've leveled up. Uh, in quarantine. Yeah. If you go on our Instagram, you'll see a little video of it. I've taken it to the next level, gone ensconced under my dining room table with many duvets and blankets involved this time. Yeah. Who says you need fancy studio exactly. to do this? I'm learning a lot. So today we're going to be talking about camera equipment and how important is it really? Yeah. And I think to get us started, maybe Al, you could talk a little bit about um, what it is even a really high-spec camera will bring you. So say, you know, you're shooting on a a lovely Leica. What will that bring you that, you know, a lower-end, cheaper camera wouldn't? One, it will bring you a lot of kudos (laughs) among your photography friends, which is is the most important thing. No, I'm I'm kidding. Most importantly, the, the, the best lenses, rather than cameras, the best lenses on cameras tend to bring the... Uh, bring the best image quality and good sensors tend to bring you dynamic range so uh, you know and and good iso sensitivity so this is why uh no matter how fancy phones are getting you know the lenses are still no you know they have no chance to be as good as the lenses you put on a dslr or on a mirrorless camera because they're so small that they're restricted by the size and the sensors are so tiny so they're going to always be limited by um you know what they can do in uh, in like low light and things like that. So you know phone sensors and and cheap like early digital cameras or even expensive early digital cameras. You can see the the effect of uh, you know it, when you're in less than ideal light. Mm, so particularly, yeah. So like with those phones, it's not necessarily a lack of processing power. It's just the fact that the thing's so damn small that you can't have you can't get a decent lens on there, and, and the sense is always going to be small as well. Correct, but I've, I mean the the advances they're making and the kind of software they're using to counteract that these deficiencies are is quite frightening. And I heard recently that um, who is it? So it's one of the one one of the big sensor manufacturers. It might be Sony are, are dedicating like a, a ridiculous amount of their R and D into phone specific sensors mm. uh, rather than trying to make camera sensors better and better because camera sensors are already uh phenomenal and um i think it's almost got past the it's got to a ridiculous point where not where, where the stats on camera sensors are, are just going up and up for the sake of it you know like when 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 we see pictures from the 60s uh or, or even before even like in the late 19th century you know you think people still made photos on, on very primitive cameras back then uh that looked great Mm. So, you know, now, now, like when digital cameras kind of got good around, you know, six years ago, there, there's no reason why anyone can't make a decent picture on a camera like that when, you know, compared to the cameras that the early Magnum people were using or, or even earlier than that, you know, it's, uh, they're like absolute luxury sedans compared to like a golf cart. Yeah. So for for the sake of argument, if if I go up to a say I go up to a cliff top, it's magic hour, and I take with me the highest spec, you know, like available, and I take a the bottom range DSLR, and I take essentially the same photo of a landscape. What what am I going to see differently when I look back at those two photos? Um. Well, color rendition is one thing, but that can all be manipulated. Mm. Uh, so that's not the biggest issue is people always go on about the color 
uh, the color profile of a sensor. And it does matter, of course, uh, but that can be changed. Um, you'll probably see a difference in the sharpness at the edge of the frames. So le cheap lenses tend to uh, look decent in the center as long as you have your subject in the middle. But if you try and frame your, or like uh, they call it pixel peep. So if you try and zoom in on the corners of your frame and have a look with a cheap lens, then it generally looks quite blurry and, and it kind of starts to fall apart, uh, which, which isn't a problem for portraiture and things like that. And if you want to shoot with like bokeh, so, you know, like that kind of dreamy soft look, it can actually be good if it falls apart at the edges. Mm. Um, but if you do stuff like I do, where sometimes you need really, you know, like sharp, tack sharp um, rendering in, in the edges, or or you put a subject in the top left, you know, or like a pigeon flying out top right, and you want it to be to look great, then it does help to have a, a shit hot lens. <laughs> Yeah, for which sure. Can, which can do that. And, you know, it's like the diminishing law uh, law of uh, returns, isn't it? So you, you get a, a pretty decent lens for £200. You'll get a really good lens for £1,000. You'll get a phenomenal lens for 3000 And then it's like, after that, it's like, what, what you know. But then you can get into the territory of, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand pound lenses. Yeah, diminishing in the sense that, like, the, the price keeps going up the same amount, if not more, but actually the gradations of difference you're seeing are probably less and less, right? Yes. And and then and then you get to, like, you know, like cinema lenses and, and you look at like ingenues and, and uh, cook lenses that are like literally £30,000 for a single prime lens. Mm. And you just think like, how, how has it come to this? Yeah. <laughs> but they are phenomenal. I mean, obviously lenses do, does end up being one of the most costly parts, but do you think... Um, that it's the lenses where you do see more of a difference and that maybe people stress over the camera body too much? Uh, I think I think people tend to hang on to lenses and then swap their cameras as the cameras get more advanced. You know, a, a good lens is a... Uh, I'd rather have a bad camera with a fantastic lens on it than yeah. the other way around. Uh, yeah, rather than a, a great camera with some absolute junk thing. <laughs> on mm. the front of it because you know the, the the lens defines the the rendering the contrast the sharpness uh the yeah the the fall off everything uh so it's pretty important but it is nice to have a pairing of the two and so i i get i get a question all the time which was you know uh if i if i used your camera could i take pictures like you or I've had emails saying, you know, I've bought a Leica Monochrome and a 24mm Sumilux lens, uh, but my pictures don't look like yours. What am I doing wrong? Um, it's just, it's, that's just completely daft, I think. And I tend to not, not to reply to those because it's, it's, I think it's a bit insulting, really, uh, to a point, just like attributing someone's images to their, um, to their equipment, you know, almost like saying, oh, Gordon Ramsay, yeah, yeah, he's great, but you should see his pans. You know, he's yeah. got the greatest set of knives <laughs> you've ever seen. I guess um, I guess the charitable interpretation is not that they think that they would, you know, everyone will just automatically see the same moments in life that, that you do, you know, if you're for your photography, but I guess they just, they're just, fr they're probably frustrated because they feel they can't get that same look in terms of, you know, the, the way the light's used and, and the contrast and stuff. Maybe it's more of a technical thing rather than them, you know, expecting their moments to be well, the same. 
It, well, it's a lot down to, as you said, the moment you choose, the light you use, and then your editing, which is a massive part of it as well. Mm. Uh, otherwise, we'd all have the same looking pictures if uh, all cameras churned out very similar quality files. Uh, it would all just look quite homogenous. It's quite interesting looking at a photographer's before and after files. Yeah, definitely. And films as well. Like with film grading, when you look at a raw raw log, you know, S-log, whatever they call it, that that um, uncompressed, super flat file that you get out of a camera just looks absolutely terrible. Although I know you like it a bit. Some, so you actually like it sometimes for certain. Yes, certain sometimes. Bit. Sometimes I like that kind of washed out look. But but no, I mean, that's that's one thing where it does really come in handy, isn't it? Is the amount of information that is stored on those things when you take a photo or take a video, you know, on an ARRI camera is that you, there's so much you can then dig into when in in the edit. Whereas, you know, once upon a time before we had the benefit of all this software, you just, you got what came out essentially and you could play around with the printing process. But you now you can really dig into different colors and sift them out in a way and hone in on different details you know you you're able, able to crop in a hell of a lot more if you want to than you used to be able to so i guess that's where you do see some of the benefit of uh, the higher quality stuff yeah i i guess it's i i've said that the most important thing about your camera is knowing what it you know and film cameras well, is knowing its limitations knowing what you can and cannot do uh knowing how to push it as far as you want and then uh, just being comfortable with it so that you you use it as an extension of yourself rather than battling with it to uh, to you know to get it to produce uh, which which is annoying so I'm quite a big fan of letting my well I, I I'm I'm a big fan of, of a camera when I'm using it without thinking about using it and I'm just working and thinking about the pictures I'm making rather than you know oh how do I set this up or what do I do? And for anyone listening who might not feel totally at one with their uh, camera, is it, yeah, just spend time just using it, even if you're just like watching a film. I, I used to do this thing where I used to practice uh, focusing, so going from like a point seven of a, like from my closest focus to like a meter or to two meters. I just used to sit there and just like practice it on the sofa, or like how to go from one point four to f five point six without looking. Just like mm. practicing that movement to get that muscle memory. Yeah, you want it to feel so down and like almost in the body that you're not thinking about it, don't you? It's just it's just yeah. instinctive. So, so, so that's the thing. But most of the things about a Leica camera that I like, and you know, there are loads of people who hate Leicas. Uh, or I'm talking about the Leica M because the the Leica M doesn't autofocus. A lot of people like that. Uh, you know, feel like they need that, especially for the price. Um, you know, there there are lots of things that it doesn't seem to do on paper compared to cheaper option, uh, cheaper cameras, um, and so they get they often get quite a lot of ridicule. You know, oh my god, you know my camera's got forty megapixels and it costs half as much as that Leica, which um, I totally don't. You know, it's it seems seductive to buy certain cameras that have just got the loud stat numbers but then when you actually use them sometimes they're actually no more useful than a camera that's got less high stats but uh can make use of all of them if you see yeah. what I mean. so so like my camera tops out at uh 100,000 ISO uh but it actually looks fairly decent at 100,000 ISO uh which is insane Whereas you've got some cameras that can go up to 3 million for the sake of being able to go up to 3 million ISO. 
And they look like absolute junk past 100,000 anyway. So they might as well not have it, in my opinion. Yeah. But there's, it's this kind of effect, the, the kind of megapixel war chasing, you know, chasing high numbers, trying to sell. Mm. And then Apple have introduced the pressure of having to release a new thing every year. So, you know, there's now this whole thing that you have you have to update your cameras every year and technology just isn't moving fast enough. So they're just finding superficial ways of, of making the camera seem like it's better, but but often not. Yeah, I suppose that Apple effect of like them trying to ramp up and get everyone to buy every two years has just bled into other areas and cameras as well. And everyone's now kind of <laughs> a slave to this constant spec war. Yeah, I I, I think consumerism was, was going that way anyway. And it has mm. been, you know, the whole thing of like buying a car and it lasting you eight, 18 years, like, it, you know, like buying an old Mustang that would just last for yeah. years. It does, you know, that's just totally doesn't happen anymore yeah uh, my my dad said that the first fridge he bought when he was young you know when he got his first house when he was like 30 lasted for something like 18 or 20 years he said it was just this really over well-made thing that just kept working and then he threw it away when my mum moved in he got relegated to like second fridge and then my mum just was like get rid of it i hate it but he said it still worked whereas you know i've had stuff that i've bought now that just breaks and it's almost like designed to break yeah, uh, it would seem, which is annoying. But I don't feel like Leicas are like that. And the, I mean, they're they're fragile. Don't get me wrong; they're fragile, but they will keep as long as you take care of them. They will, uh, they do keep working. And there's less parts in a manual lens to break as well, which is nice because that's usually the thing that goes on on digital cameras is the autofocus rings and stuff all just start going wrong. Yeah, and if you can make them last, you know, it's nice to have that feeling that that thing around your neck you've been carrying to the different, you know, all the ends of the earth and it's been there with you. So it's quite a nice thing to foster if you can. Um, I guess a lot of the different photographers and people we've spoken to on the podcast so far, they've sort of varied in their, in their takes on this. I mean, people like, I think, you know, Martin Parr's not hugely into the tech. He just has the camera, doesn't really think about it. Mm. Whereas some people, I guess, you know, uh, Steve McCurry and people like that are probably more into into the, the tech side of things, which is interesting. But I guess that just comes down to when you look at their styles what they what they really require yeah i i think it it doesn't hurt to know uh stuff about your your tool (laughs) that you use i I, i've never understood that thing of like oh i'm not interested in the you know in that aspect of it it's a bit like i don't know like a racing driver being not that interested in their car yeah, you don't come across like a samurai who's like, I just got like the kind of bottom shelf katana. I don't really think about it. I just slice fools and <laughs> it's not the thing. Yeah, a good samurai could probably kill you with any katana, but that's not the point. They, yeah. you know, help. They want the Hattori Hanzo steel. You want the Hattori Hanzo steel. Yeah. Damn right. So I guess this, I, I mean, I suppose this should be fairly obvious, I hope, but what, in terms of different styles that you see, do you think are ones where having you know we've already spoken about it a little bit when you're talking about things at the edge of frames and a lot of stuff you do there is a benefit to getting a lot of high quality gear whereas other stars where it's like you know what you probably are better off just keeping it simple um good question uh i mean first of all i think that a good photographer on a terrible camera will do a better job than an amateur or you know just a a Mm an un- unexperienced photographer could do on a top end Hasselblad or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've always maintained that a good picture should look good the size of a stamp or the size of a billboard, you know, 
Uh, it's that kind of thing. Like it, it, it really pictures can be helped. Like, like image quality can be overlooked if the if the picture's great. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and like Carte Bresson bringing him up again for probably every episode. <laughs> this fucking look, guy, this guy, I know. So his his images were were shot on Triex uh, thirty five millimeter film, and they can't really be blown up much more than A four, but that's okay. It doesn't matter, mm. <laughs> and 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 the, I don't care. You know, like he yeah. he wasn't there. Like, oh god, I wish my edge sharpness was a bit better, or like, oh, god damn it, I wish you know. I, oh, you can't print that the size of a billboard. You should probably think about an alternative camera. You know, he didn't really care. Um, and also, how many people these days are printing the size of billboards? You know, it's all it's all just um, hubris, just yeah. machoism. You know, like my camera could do this. It's like a guy who lives in in central London and buys a Ferrari. And you know he's he lives for five mile radius. It's all twenty mile per hour, you know, speed restriction, and so he can't really drive it. But at least you know your car could do that. I think it's that kind of thing. People like having equipment that they feel exceeds them. Um, whereas you know, so I mean, people who need super high resolution cameras are people doing fashion photography, uh, people who are really bad at photography and need to crop. Uh, people who uh, wildlife, what wild, yeah, wildlife or landscape. Uh, although wildlife guys tend to always use crop sensors, so APS-C, uh, which give you like longer reach on a lens. Uh, so not always. I mean, they don't seem to be obsessed with the the highest detail. Um, they're more about frame rate. I think wildlife is very important yeah. to have a a fast and accurate camera. Uh, with with superb autofocus, long ass lens. You get that yeah. hummingbird. Yeah, long ass. Like they, oh, I just think they look so funny though. Uh, I always think. I always think. Ah, glad I'm a street photographer. You know, <laughs> can can literally travel to work or to a Without job. A with, massive phallus with, around your neck. <laughs> yeah, just just with a just with a man bag, <laughs> with three lenses in. Yeah, what you, it's funny what you say about like the breasts on and stuff. I'm trying to like. Yeah, stress about technology less. And, you know, for, uh, for the longest time, I don't usually carry around a stills photography and, you know, just shooting stuff on my phone. Like, obviously, camera our camera rolls are a shit show for the most part. But occasionally, you know, when you, you catch something nimbly on a phone and it's and it's great. And I've uh, rather than sort of be thinking like, oh, I didn't have like a, a DSLR on me, therefore this is not like a legitimate photograph. I'm trying to sort of celebrate those ones just as much because if you find the nice moment and the shot looks good, it doesn't matter if it's not like, you know, super crisp and the depth of field isn't like really shallow. Yeah, as long as it, if it's a good picture, it's a good picture. That's it. Mm. Uh, and even more so if it was made on a phone. I th- I th- yeah. I'm always impressed. If I take a picture I like on my phone, I'm like, eh. Look at that. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 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 a bit of a shame because I could never potentially print it that big. Uh, that's the one issue. Um, but having said that, phones are now as long as you shoot in the right light, there are some phones that can produce massive prints. Yeah, it leads quite nicely onto um, the amount of sort of iPhone photography has been going on in Hollywood over recent years. Um, to talk about film a little bit, I think it's a yeah. bit it's a bit different from photography because photography you've just got the photo and the photo has to be right but with with film there's so many other 
elements that are super important. Um, I mean, obviously the camera movement, which has got nothing to do with, you know, the quality of the sensor and the lenses and everything, just literally if you, if it's handheld, what you're doing with it. And also the editing. And by that, I don't, I don't even mean the color grading and the, you know, tweaking and airbrushing stuff. I mean, literally how you edit the footage together is so, so important. And I think almost as if you, like you say, you know, um, uh, a good photographer with a bad camera will do well. I think a bad camera, if it's moved around in the right way and if the editing is tight and everything is edited in such a way that makes sense and has like a sense of tension and narrative to it is is going to be great. And, um, yeah. and obviously all of these huge film cameras that are ridiculously expensive and they're, and they're wonderful, wonderful things. But, um, at the same time, it's amazing what you can do without them. And uh, a couple of directors have really taken that to heart. So I think it was um, a director called Sean Baker who did that first about five or so years ago with a film called Tangerine, which yeah. uh, I think had a budget of, it was like 250 grand, half a million maybe, which is, you know, very tiny for a, even for an indie film really. But um, he shot it all on iPhone and uh, it was a bit of a, a little bit of a, deceptive this one because i think they did retrofit it with anamorphic lenses and they were using they didn't just open up open up you know like the video app they opened up this special app that basically makes total the best possible use of the iphone camera and will shoot a higher uh you know uh, create a, a larger file um but it's a really great yeah. film this film called tangerine they just shot it sort of on the fly around la streets and then he recently made a film called the florida project that maybe more people have heard of but I think he got nominated for best picture of the year um had Willem Dafoe in it this time so he went from shooting on an iPhone with uh, I think there were two uh prostitutes actually that he just because the characters were prostitutes and I think he just got them acting and it worked really great and I actually think that film shot on iPhone with those non-actors is a better film than the one where he switched up to using I'm not sure what they shot on presumably an Ari or a Red and you know with Willem Dafoe in it um so it just goes to show how in some senses, little difference it can make in the world of film. And that's something um, Steven Soderbergh, who's made Ocean's Eleven, Logan Lucky, he's a big proponent of as well. And I, yeah, he, he made a film with Claire Foy not so long ago. I recommend people check out, actually, even if you're just more of a photographer as well, because I think it's just a really interesting creative exercise. He made this film called Unsane, um, set in like a mental hospital about this woman being made to believe she's insane, uh, even though she feels, you know, completely compass mentis. Um, and if they filmed it all on iPhone, not, you know, switching out lenses, like actually on iPhone. And it looks really good. And honestly, within, you know, 10 minutes of the film, because he's such a masterful director, you know, Ocean's Eleven is such a well put together film. He knows his way around, a, you know, using a camera and you just forget that it's on iPhone and it just feels like a basically like a regular film which is which is super interesting yeah um so i guess all of that is to say that with film you do there's a lot more other external elements um which mean that you shouldn't be disheartened if you can't afford an ari alexa because who the hell can frankly um because you can still i think get really great results yeah it's about uh investing in your experience and your knowledge rather than in too much equipment i mm. think is the uh is far more valuable overall and just knowing what you want to do that's 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 the hardest thing is knowing wh what direction you want to pick and what is right for you in order to achieve that yeah. so you know for me being a street photographer who likes to shoot in black and white shooting on a 
color body with a 200 millimeter lens that's meant for portraits or wildlife would not probably be my ideal choice for example so knowing that helps yeah uh, and then that can go deeper and deeper and deeper you know you can really go down the rabbit hole until you find all of a sudden the very simple kit that works for you but you know it for me, finding out 24mm lens and a Leica monochrom took me quite a bit of time and thinking uh, before I realized that that was my favorite combo. And then it was. And yeah. that's simple. And I don't, I don't, I, I still have an interest in new stuff that comes out. And I, you know, I always have a look around, but uh, I have no interest in buying loads of stuff. No. Well, fortunately, I guess with, with Still Struggle, you don't need it all. So, you know, if you, if you can find a way to, you know, be able to afford your good camera and the, you know, find the lens or the, the two or three lenses that are right for you, if you can get them, then you're pretty much sorted. Whereas, obviously, with with film, you could just as just grip and and lighting and a, a, just equipment for days that you can't even really begin with. So, um, it's a bit I know, of a difference it, there. It, it gives me anxiety looking at a film set. The amount yeah. of stuff, like all the wires and yeah, all the you lights may- have different names. You may remember on um on the on the film we made last year when everything was kind of locked up at night. I was I was I was staying in the apartment we were shooting in, and literally every single square inch of the apartment, it was a really nice apartment too, was just completely covered in kit to the point where I, I had know. to like crawl over everything to get upstairs and find a square to sleep in that wasn't you know taken up with massive flight cases. Yeah, and and I was staying in a nearby airbnb with uh just my camera bag with three lenses and a, and a camera body and feeling very smug about my my life yeah. choices <laughs> yeah and there there are some situations where um a really really good camera can almost be a disadvantage um there were in that shoot for instance there were times where work because we were able to shoot on a Mary alexa lf which is a big old camera that that requires um, a lot of other pieces of equipment to, to work it. What a camera, a lot, though. What a, what a camera. camera. It's absolutely beautiful. And, you know... It's frightening. It is, the amount it can see. And, you know, that pays dividends in some cases. But, for instance, when we were shooting in a cramped bathroom, if we'd have had something a little bit smaller in there, even if it was an Alexa Mini, I think we would have been able to be... Oh, even more... just an Alexa Mini, you know. <laughs> could take that. Yeah, I mean, it would just we would have been more agile and probably you know all of the setups would have gone down quicker so we'd have probably been able to have more takes and probably maybe even had a little bit more camera movement because you can actually move the thing <laughs> so yeah. that's, a, that's an interesting thing to think about too there's actually you might be sitting there with your you know with the canon thinking oh i wish i had you know uh, a enormous great panavision camera but actually if well, you're shooting in a cramped space then being able to and you can also really lean into that stuff because you know i mean if you think about breaking bad they do a lot of shots where the camera is inside the thing, you know, a bit like inside the washing machine or at the end of a shovel. I think they did on one. Yeah, that was got, great, the shovel Yeah, shot. Yeah, so if you've got a small camera, you can just, you can get creative and be like, right, why don't for this scene, I just get inside of the, the thing and, and play around? Yeah, and, and likewise, you know, for street photographers or people shooting human beings, generally having a, a big, a massive, loud camera is works against you. So I was doing a workshop once with this girl who was about five foot four and I'm six foot three. So I'm, I'm, I was quite a lot taller than her, you know, definitely more of an intimidating presence. I had my little Leica and she had her, she had a Canon 5D with a, with a, one of the L lens, you know, and, and I think people, it's partly due to Canon's, uh, 
you know, amazing marketing and the fact that everyone associates Canon and Nikon with professional cameras. I think it's a mixture of that and their conspicuous size and the super bright, uh, that Canon strap that they give you, which is just further advertising for them. You know, that kind of red, I'm shooting mm. a Canon kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and we were shooting the same subject and I was I was explaining it and then we both took the shot and then the guy just went nuts at her. He didn't even look at me. And I'd, I'd taken a picture <laughs> as well and he just went straight for her and she was looking at me like, help, hey, help. So so I did and I, and I said, you know, I, I'm teaching her and I took the shot and he was like, he was like, oh, okay, okay. And then, but I said to her, yeah, the first thing you should do probably is hide that logo and get a plain strap for your camera yeah you know playing neck strap because that that uh that gives people away a lot and I, I don't know what it is and it's just a subconscious thing i think so you know it doesn't it doesn't matter so much in the serengeti i don't think uh you know your average no. uh lion is going to be like is that a cannon <laughs> uh <laughs> so you know it's fine out there but if you're doing street photography or even portraiture like if you're taking a portrait of someone um, and you need to take like a hundred pictures of them, you know, having a loud camera clacking in their face is quite t- tiring, you know, compared to just a nice, subtle, silent thing that just you just do your work and still talk. It doesn't feel like so much of an event and like a process, yeah, which I, for one, like. Uh, so I, I, I use my Leica for mainly for things like how quiet it is, how discreet it is, um, how it's got full manual control so i can set the the camera like the iso the aperture the focus all before i turn the camera on and uh yeah like mentioned before you know if you want to get the high contrast look that i've i've been shooting you can do it on uh you can do it on a phone you know it's not yeah. about the camera we, we always bang in this drum but lighting is everything and again yeah uh, you can be you can get obsessive about the kit, but um, same for film and same for photography. Again, you if you have a, a, a nicely lit set or a nicely lit subject, if you're on the streets, that is going to do more for you than a great camera. That's a classic Candela advice for you there. It's not super important, but it also is. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of important, but also kind of not important. Well, it would be silly if we were just like it's not important. At all. That would make no sense. So. Oh, no, no, but there are people who like that, and it just absolutely, oh, like, it kills me, especially when, when photographers lie about it. Like, there are certain very well-known photographers, who I'm not going to mention, who mm. say, oh, you know, I don't know anything about technique or about editing. It's like, bullshit, you do. You're just being like one of those people at school who pretends that they didn't do any revision for the exam to seem like they're cool, but then they smash it, and it's obvious that they've been revising for weeks. Uh Whereas I was sitting there like I genuinely didn't revise and we're having a very different experience. <laughs> uh, you know, so... You're right, there, there is there, a lot there, of that because it it's more cool and sexy, isn't it, to be like, oh, I don't know anything. Oh, I just I turned up the... and just blah. Just, it just yeah. keeps happening to me. To bah, have a little poof. Oh, wow, how did I do that? I had no idea. Boom. You know, and it's, these photographers with very tight, consistent portfolios that are very colour-matched and like all these kind of... It's just, it's just annoying. Mm. 
I don't know if, if we had parting advice for people like starting out, but I guess it's like don't go too crazy with the camera, learn the, the, the nuts and bolts and focus on that first because that's going to do more for you than spending a load of your money. Yeah, I would say don't buy too much equipment because uh, having loads and loads and loads of lenses, unless you're super disciplined and know when you're looking at a scene which lens is the one to pull out the bag, uh, can, can just end up confusing you and then you can be like, oh, I'm you know, I'm not sure which lens to take with me on this trip. And then you feel bad that you've left one. And, you know, it's just so complicated. So I would say best thing to do is just get, keep it simple. I started with like a 50 and a 35 for the first year or year and a half. And and those are very generic, good options. And there's a reason why they're, you know, very well regarded for street photography. And I found that to be the case as well, funnily enough. So, mm. um, you know, keep it simple. Don't don't go too. Don't try and make up for any kind of stagnation in your portfolio by buying a new lens or buying a. You know, the best thing to do, I think, is if you can, is to is to do a trip somewhere. You know, not necessarily to to go to, uh, you know, the other side of the earth, but just somewhere else, just somewhere different to your comfort zone that that you're used to shooting. So. You know, for example, I like going to the seaside in, in the UK sometimes just because it's a totally different vibe to shooting in London and it gives me a nice visual break. Uh, that isn't hugely expensive and it can force you to think differently. And then all these are all good things. And like, I'd rather spend, uh, you know, £5,000 on, on an epic trip somewhere than on getting another camera body that I don't necessarily need. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. And as you say, they don't always have to be expensive, those trips. And if you can, you know, get yourself into some interesting places, <laughs> embed yourself in an Amish community, go on a, a weird night out, you're going to get a lot more benefit from that in terms of what you produce than you are absolutely, sit, absolutely. sitting like in the in the mile radius of your house, as unfortunately a lot of us are at the moment, um, with, with the best quality camera ever. Yeah. Well, I hope this has been uh, useful for folks today. And... Um, yeah, stay tuned. I think we've got our next episode coming up with Vincent Peters, a credible portrait photographer. So stick around for that one. Yeah. Thanks for joining me, Al. No, pleasure, Chris. Speak to you in a bit. I'll catch you soon. Thanks for listening to Candela. You can keep up with future episodes and news on the show on our Instagram at Candela Podcast. That's at C-A-N-D-E-L-A Podcast. We will also be posting photography and cinematography that we like on there. You can also find us on YouTube and Vero.